Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Changes. My name is Annie McManus. Welcome to the podcast that is all about change. I hope you're doing good. I'm in the shed, as usual, talking to you um, in a week that's felt really kind of tangible when it comes to change. I've put on tights for the first time. I've got the heater on in the shed. We've been putting the heating on the house. Yeah, it just feels like autumn is indisputably with us. This week on Changes, we welcome the award-winning actor Anne-Marie Duff. Anne-Marie's had an incredibly successful career starring across theatre, TV and film. You might know her for starring as Fiona in Shameless, as Queen Elizabeth I in The Virgin Queen, and John Lennon's mother in Nowhere Boy. She was nominated for BAFTAs for all of those three roles. Anne-Marie has also played Lady Macbeth on Broadway and at the National Theatre. She's played Joan of Arc. She starred in films like Notes on a Scandal alongside Judi Dench and Suffragette with Meryl Streep. And recently, Erin Wiley in Netflix Sex Education. But the reason I wanted to speak to Anne-Marie this week is because on Friday, the final episode of Sharon Horgan's very dark and brilliant comedy, Bad Sisters is aired. Now, I have been glued to Bad Sisters and Anne-Marie Duff is the kind of leading lady in the series. She plays Grace, a very diminished wife, a victim of a abusive relationship um, and she's absolutely excellent in the role. I've been obsessed with it. Everyone I know is talking about it and I thought we should hear from Anne-Marie this week before the final episode of Bad Sisters. There are no spoilers in this conversation but we do talk about the themes of the show focusing a lot on domestic abuse so a word of warning for anyone who might be triggered by that kind of conversation. Anne-Marie is now in her 50s. She has a son Brendan who is 12 with her now ex-husband the actor James McAvoy and she's been through a whole lot of change in her life. We cover everything from her childhood to career to motherhood it's all in there so let's do it Amory Duff, welcome to Changes. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very flattered to be here. Well, we are so, so happy that you're here um, for so many reasons. But let's begin with the most talked about thing at the school gates at the moment where I live, <laughs> which is Bad Sisters. Yeah. The new Sharon Horgan TV show uh, of which you completely star in. You're kind of the central character. Um, five sisters, a murder a coercive husband Ugh. and a and a wife, Grace, which is you. Yeah. Right? Describe the character Grace for me. Well, it's tricky to describe Grace, isn't it? Because she's living inside this awful, as you say, coercive marriage. <clears throat> she's become a kind of membrane, isn't she? She's sort of a translucent version of herself. She doesn't quite know who she is anymore. Yeah. So you see this, what you think is a sort of perfect wife you know in the old-fashioned terms but then you realize quite quickly that she's being bullied desperately so I had all these versions of her in my head of what she was like before she married him or before right. they were together you know 
and that she'd become lost and was unrecognisable to herself whenever she looked in the mirror, you know, and so would avoid it. Mm. So that's, I suppose, the sort of meta version of the description of her, but she is part of this middle-class Irish family and she's married this Swedish man who at first seemed, I suppose, perfect because he was successful and strong and all of those things, but then turns out to be a desperate bully. They have a child together, Blonnet, who's their daughter. She's a teenager and she tries to construct this, what looks like a perfect life, so she sort of pretends that everything's fine mm. and she's sort of shape-shifting the whole time trying to be whoever whoever she thinks people want her to be mm. it was a very different character for me to play you know I, I wouldn't normally play someone that sort of invisible in a way yeah. you know so it's she's tricky to describe isn't she she is and also I'm, I can imagine very tricky to play because there's no kind of when someone is shape-shifting that much in order to kind of survive and be okay what do you cling on to in terms of personality traits or, you know, it must have been quite difficult. The Guardian described your scenes together with John Paul, your husband, um, as agony, as he needles, wrong foots and destabilises her grace at every turn, closing down her options at the tiniest level so that the idea of making freer, bigger choices is no longer even part of her mental landscape. So you oh, said that gave me goosebumps because yeah. I don't read anything. So that that's great. The people it's really on point. Clace, who plays John Paul, Clace Bang, and I worked our tuchuses off because mm. we said we knew this is really funny, but unless we buy this terrible relationship at the centre of it, nobody will be re- rooting for her rescue. Mm. So we really did work really hard, even though it's extreme and very funny, the show, to make it as truthful and as ghastly as possible, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and and it really, really works. And I mean, it's one of the things I was saying to you before, before we came into the studio is it's so hard to walk that line between dark and funny. And Sharon Horgan, in in her writing, seems to do it very well. But the acting is so, so believable and brilliant, especially, I think, on your part. What made you want to do this role? Well, I'd been a big admirer of hers, like everybody else in the universe, um, for years. And the idea of a show with five brilliant female characters, Mm. because all the sisters are really interesting women, Mm. um that at the heart of it had some message, but that was fantastically audacious and morally very dubious, actually. (laughs) You know, it's about trying to kill somebody. But also was laugh out loud funny even on the page. Yeah. And was Irish. Mm. You know, sort of like all the things that I'm passionate about, you know, so it's great for me, you know, I... I remember the exact evening the scripts came through, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, none of us could put the scripts down. It was right. like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how was the actual process of showing up every day and playing Grace? Like, you know, in the context of the rest of the cast? and So it was eight months, I think, we were making the show. So for eight months, I had to be in that space. It was tough, because like, your body doesn't know you're lying. You have to make yourself believe it so every cell of your body kind of goes there. So it's quite tiring. And also I didn't get to have the crack with the other girls because they were all separate, Mm. you know, plotting or whatever. Mm. So it's quite isolating, which was perfect. As in, because it feeds into the character. Totally fed into... But it's not fun, is it? (laughs) No, but Clayson and I did have a really good laugh. Did you? Okay, good. Because we knew... If we didn't, we'd go mad, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we did. We had, had a really, really good laugh. And the crew were amazing. Yeah. And 
It was a huge crew, huge production. Yeah. So we did. We had a super good time together. You talked about one of the reasons why you wanted to do it was because the show had a message. And, you know, I wouldn't want to say what the message is, but it's definitely, you know, domestic violence is the central tenet. And everything kind of moves around that. The reality of domestic violence and just trying to show that in a really, in a way that people can maybe relate to or recognise. How important do you think it is to do this, to tell stories about this specific theme? I think any story around the subject of bullying is always so important, isn't it? Because bullying, all right, it might not be exactly your story, but you might go, God, that smells familiar. Somebody at work makes me feel like that Mm. or makes me feel like I'm crazy. You never quite know the ripple effect that you have when you're telling a tale. Mm. And that's the gift we have, you know, really. That's our privilege is to do that stuff. But um, for me, yeah, of course, I've spoken before about and told stories around domestic abuse before. Mm. So for me, it has been a subject that that I feel very strongly about. And I think the notion of coercion is still a very recent, you know, people have only recently defined it as being domestic abuse. Mm. And we imagine it, we have this sort of archetype, don't we, in film and television of a very working class scenario, maybe alcohol involved, sure. good old clip, wallop, all that stuff. But it's much more complex than that. So to see it in a sort of glamorous environment doesn't hurt in a way. Um, Lives that seem perfect aren't always. And pain is pain, no matter how much money's in the bank. Mm. Um, Look, I think we live in a very flammable time in terms of women. You only have to look at what's happened in America recently. And, you know, we now have an Italian, although she's a woman... Uh, an Italian prime minister who believes that women's place is in the home making babies. You know, so what a time we are living through. There's a whole, a very large part of the world where young women aren't even allowed or entitled to an education. So I just feel like we have to keep ringing that bell. Mm. I think we just do. And you mentioned the, the idea of showing up every day and having to play the role of this very diminished woman for eight months I guess, how do you process that? And I'm struck by what you said because I'm reading this new book by Gabor Mate called The Myth of Normal. And so much of it, yeah, so much of it is about mind body and how your emotions directly affect your physiology. And so if you, as an actress, are, as you say, channeling these real emotions that your body feels real, how do you protect yourself, I suppose? It depends on the job as well. Sometimes it's much easier than others. Right. I think when you do a play, it's different because you get to go from beginning to middle to end Mm. every night and you go, right, we've completed that journey every night. When you're filming, it's a bit weirder because you kind of peppered through, say, a shoot like that, that you can sort of have to hold yourself in a certain place Mm. because it's Friday. I won't be doing a scene till Tuesday. So I have to let go of it a bit, but I kind of have to hold on to it a little bit for Tuesday. So it can be quite tricky, Mm. but you just find ways of dealing with it. When you're a young actor, you kind of sort of immerse yourself and swim in the sea of it and think this is how I'm supposed to do. I should be feeling all these things all the time. But then you realise that's exhausting and also not very good for you. You're not exciting to be around person. Yeah. But um, somebody told me this brilliant exercise, and I always say this to young actors, actually. Right where you get a list, if you find that you're really struggling with this stuff, that you get a list and you go, this is me, and say for Grace, Mm -hmm. and this is Grace. Mm -hmm. 
and this is what Grace is like, da, 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 da. and yeah. how I am not like her is in the other column. Yeah. And it can be really useful to just do that in your noggin sometimes. Just separate like, it really separate. cleanly, yeah. Yeah, cop yourself on, Anne-Marie. There's no yeah. way you would. Yeah. And yeah. you would never, Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and I am this. I'm not yeah. that. That's yeah. her. Yeah. You know, and that's quite useful. Sometimes these little tricks really help, you yeah, know. Yeah, I bet. So listen, let's get on to change because you, you've been through such a lot of change in your life. And um, you talked about Ireland. You're very aware of Ireland because mm. your parents were Irish uh, or are Irish. I'm Irish. not sure if they're, yeah, still, they're still around. Still alive, are yeah. Wonderful. So tell me, I guess, a little bit about where you grew up and about your parents, um, that kind of early part of your childhood. So um, I grew up just outside of West London. If you were heading towards Heath- Heathrow Airport, that sort of neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, very working class and... Uh, my parents, Mary and Brendan, and my brother, Eddie. There was the four of us. Eddie, older or younger? He's two years older. Okay. Yeah, so they both were here in London when they met. And my mum, when she first came here, lived very close to Grenfell. Wow. And that's where she spent a lot of her life. And my granny lived next door to Grenfell, actually, and she moved just after because of the fire, damaged her flat and everything. Wow. I know. So she had friends in Grenfell, the actual... Terrible, yeah, I know. It's very wow. sad. I've never really talked about it before, actually. Yeah. But yeah, so sort of like West London Irish community. Mm. And um, there's a movie actually about Shane McGowan that I think was on Sky. I saw it. Yeah, and it talked about the London Irish community and mm. I, I loved it because it's not something that people know a lot about, actually. Mm. Not really. There are sort of stereotypical images and things, but... Mm. You know, it's, I found it fascinating because it wasn't easy at all for mum and dad when they moved here. Why not? Well, there was so much discrimination, you know. There was the time of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, my dad's name is Brendan. He has the same name as my son. And he worked for Fuller's Brewery for his whole working life, pretty much. And everyone called him Pat because they called him Paddy when he mm-hmm. arrived. Mm-hmm. They thought his name was Pat Duff. And he didn't change it because people didn't. Yeah. You know, that was where the radio was tuned to, which yeah. is sad. Yeah. But anywho, uh, yeah, so we were a very close family. I'm still really close to my mum and dad. And um, I see my brother all the time. He has Alzheimer's. He has very early onset Alzheimer's. So right. he is in care and living not that far away from me. So we see each other all the time. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, we were skint. But, it, you know, they were so good at making it feel fine. Because, you know, we were such a sort of thing, but we we had other wealth, you know, we had that sort of like, we all really cared about each other. And and it was a time when you didn't have to go to school with a new iPhone or you didn't have to have five different streaming services on your telly and you didn't, mm. the pressure wasn't there as much. I mean, it was the 80s, so there was a lot of Thatcher bollocks, but so I don't look back and go, oh, God, we were so deprived. Yeah. I'm so lucky, really. I look back on my childhood and go, yeah, we were fine, you know, because yeah. we had each other and that was okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have all the stuff, but you know what? I'm fine. And what was Anne-Marie like as a little girl? When I was super young, I was very, very shy, like crazy shy. And that's when I think I started reading. Right. <clears throat> you asked me what was the thing that, you know, was my first change in childhood would be that, discovering narrative, discovering story and it completely, like... Like somebody took the lid off my head, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm. 
I thought, oh, I thought I'll, I'll be a writer, I'll be a writer. Because I was always at the library and I'd sit, I can still remember the little kids bit of the library, I'd sit and just read books and stuff. And, and then a pal of mine, Lisa, at primary school said she was going to go to do like a youth drama club. Mm-hmm. And would I go with her because she was nervous about going alone? And I shot myself. <laughs> but then I went and I yeah. was like, oh, it's just the same as a book. Right, you're telling stories instead of reading them, yeah. Yeah. But that must have been a big moment for you if, as a young, shy girl having to step out in front of people and speak and make your voice heard. I guess so. Or did it come naturally? It kind of came naturally, but mm. not in a shuffleball change kind of way. I wasn't I wasn't a show-off or yeah. a... Yeah, yeah. One of those kids who did impressions, you know, the way yeah, there was yeah. always one of those kids in the yeah. family. But I did sing and... Oh, I mean, I was in an Irish family, everybody sang, but uh, so I would be made sing, and I didn't mind that. But um, yeah, it felt it felt like a sort of logical. It wasn't like I immediately went, road to Damascus, this is it, I'm going to be Meryl Streep. I just yeah. knew that I liked the storytelling, and it made sense to me. And, um, and your parents encouraged that side of they it? They totally did, you know. Yeah. I think they were like, just work at school. Yeah. Nobody had made any decisions who I was. Right. Wonderful. That's oh, how so, lucky is that? What, I mean, what a privilege to be a blank slate. Because it's quite tempting, even with my son. I'm like, oh, who is he? Oh, he's good at Who's this. Who's he going to be? So What's he? Maybe I yeah. should encourage that. And you think, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think people do that very subconsciously. It's really well intentioned. But totally well intentioned. Yeah. Because yeah. they want their kid to be more of themselves. Mm. But sometimes you have to let them find the thing. Well, you they know? want their kid to be the, the part of themselves that they weren't able to yeah. make real. Yeah. Um, like you say, people don't know they're doing it and they mean well. Mm. So you were able to to kind of form your own identity in your own time, which is wonderful. Yeah, and I was a bit of a nerd, you know. I wasn't very cool or anything. Did you like school? No, I was quite teased at school. Right. Because it was a bit different. Yeah, and how were you different, do you think? Of course, now I can see it because I loved books and I loved... Yeah, yeah. ...creative stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't a time where creative stuff was fashionable. Right. Everybody was encouraged to go off and work in Barclays or, you know, all that stuff. It was very much that time. So I was a bit of a weirdo, I suppose. And I, it was a very working-class comprehensive school. So tough. So oh. really tough. But yeah. also, what are you thinking? You know, that would be the attitude from the teachers. What are you thinking? And you don't belong to that world. How did you deal with it? Did you tell your parents? Yeah, I did. But it wasn't like it is now. And it was just a different generation of parenting, right? You know, it wasn't like, it was kind of like, well, whereas we're now like, oh God, okay, let's talk about I'll it. Speak to I'll, the have, I'll have a word. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak to someone. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, it's yeah, so yeah. different, you know. Yeah. yeah so I, I suppose I went even more into what I liked. Mm. It became my, like a force field. It became my thing. Like, you don't know what I have. I have this thing. And none of you have this. And I can use this as my just you wait and see. And it wasn't like, just you wait and see, I'm going to be rich and famous. It was like, just you wait and see, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to do this thing. And did you ever get a chance to see or know about any of those people who give you a hard time realising that you had become successful? Not so You always much. kind of, want, you always want that to happen. Like Jesse J, yeah. You want there to be a moment where there's like, <laughs> oh, sorry, you're the kid who bullied me in school. Sorry, that's just me on the cover, on the billboard across the road. Yeah, see ya. You kind of want that. You want that, like, know, that so neat, funny. you want to tie it up, That would be you? the movie, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be the John Hughes movie. Yeah. Do you feel like that has stayed in you? And, and like, has it had an effect on you in adulthood, do you think? 
all about grief at school? Look, I think that every age you've ever been is still stuck inside you, you know. Mm. Which is why you get so triggered by shit all the yeah. time. You think, why am I overreacting to this? Yeah. You know? yeah. So it must on some level, of course. And um, you know what, Annie, mm. Mac? What? What, what? <laughs> I've never really been like one of those people who's a member of a gang. I've never yeah. really been, you know, I'm always really envious of those people who have like 10 mates yeah. and they're always on Sunday lunch and they're always doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I've always, I've never really been like that. And maybe that's as a result of yeah. being slightly outside of the circle. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, yeah. who knows. And how are you as a friend? Oh God, I'm really you loyal. Must be very loyal, yeah. I am, and yeah. I have my little group of pals that I just worship and I like, they're like my sisters because I don't have any female mm. sibling, but mm. they are my sister friends, you mm. know, mm. Mm. and I've known for years and, um, but I love collecting new friends, you know, that's just amazing, yeah. you know, and you think, when you think you're finished in a way, like, because we're lucky, we get to work with different people all the time and then you meet someone and you go, wow, I think I've just made a new friend, yeah. which yeah. seems nuts in your middle age, you know, but it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, so you decided you were going to go for it, yeah. and you did. You tried to get into drama school. Yeah. But something happened, right? I didn't get in the first time around. Which I mean, must have been devastating. I was pretty scared because, Jesus, I looked about 14 when I was 18. I was so young. Right. I was a virgin. I really was like yeah. a baby. So then I applied for art school. Okay. And I got accepted on a foundation course. And then I had a big chat with my dad. He was amazing. Because, you know, back then, people sort of did jobs for life, right? Mm. It's only really in the last 15 years or something we've had this notion that nothing is guaranteed. You can try and do lots of different things. So for them, they're really working class people. They probably had all sorts of dreams that they couldn't fulfill. And there's a kid who, you know, said, I want to be this, and I didn't get to drama school. You know, he probably, you would imagine, would be thinking, let's play safe here. Yeah. And I'm off. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't. He said, is that who you are, though? I still remember standing, looking out of the garden through the window with his arm around me and saying, I'm not sure now, Smudge, if that's who you are. As in art, as in doing art school is yeah. who you are. Wow, so he knew you. Yeah. So I just went off and did another couple of A-levels, which I was able to do at a local college. I did film studies and stuff. And then I got into drama school in that year. Mm. I mean, by the sounds of it, it wasn't a nurturing drama school. No, it was. It was tough. It considered itself to be a bit of a conservatoire and so yeah. you could be booted out at any minute. And Which is awful. I know. What were the grounds of being booted out at any minute? Just not being good enough? Not being good enough, not trying hard enough. I mean, it's very fucked up, you That's know, of course. Up. Because when you're young, of course, the masochism of youth, you'll throw yourself against the wall if you're desperate for something. Yeah. I mean, you know that. Look at the field you went into as a woman. Yeah. You had to work your took us off, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just go, anything, 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 I'll mm. do anything. So mm. I just kept working really hard and kept believing. I had this mad faith in it all, I suppose. And were you, like, what were the teachers, your peers' kind of perspective on you as an actress at that time? Did, you know, were you one of the best in the class? Did you feel like you, ha you really had something when you were surrounded by other aspiring actors? It was hard to say because I was made feel that I wasn't a leading lady. Really? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But you also didn't know if that was a tactic. This was sort of mm. so weird. It was like a really abusive relationship. It is, isn't it? But I remember 
I was in the final year and there was a casting director who used to teach audition technique. And she said there was something happened like I'd been given a terrible part in one of the school shows at the end. So she said, I'm going to work with you one-to-one and we'll do some speeches and things. I was like, oh, okay. And in one of those things she said, I have to tell you, Anne-Marie, you're probably one of the only women who are going to work in this year. And I was like, what? Wow. She said, so I'm going to work with you on audition speeches because I think you're probably going to do really well. Wow. And it was the maddest thing. It was like somebody said to you. Finally had said. Did you not know you have brown eyes? Yeah. You know, be like, what? (laughs) So it's like mad. So that gave me faith then. And I sat down after I saw her and I wrote like a hundred letters to different theatre companies and all that sort of stuff. Mm. (laughs) It really gave me a... That's all you need. It's like there's one little spark of kind of affirmation, right? Sometimes you just need someone to go, yeah, you're fucking great, you. Yeah. And then you got in. And I was off ski. And then I went in and got a job. You then became very busy as an actor. Yeah, I did lots and lots of theatre and stuff. Lots of theatre. What was the breakout moment for you becoming well-known? Beyond theatre, I mean. Beyond all that, I suppose there were two things that happened very close together. One of them was I was in a Peter Mullen film called The Magdalene Sisters. Sure. And then followed straight after I was in Shameless. Right. So I had this sort of really commercial success of Shameless. But then The Magdalene Sisters was a huge art house film, you right. know. Yeah. So I had sort of like, I was so lucky, I had those two worlds. Yeah. So people on the street knew me as Fiona. Um, but that was nearly 10 years after I left drama school, you know, so. Yeah, so you'd put the graft in. I had, but of course I felt like a successful actor because I was working. Yeah. And working at like the National Theatre and all those fancy pants places. So for me, I was like, right. What's the holy grail of acting? Is it being able to do a bit of everything? Yeah, and, most, and you've done that. And I'm so I, I'll still I still touch wood. I can't mm. because, as you say, for most people, you kind of stay in a lane, right? And you you kind um, of get put in a box. You do, and I see. I think um, some people love that. Mm. One of my best friends is a brilliant Irish actress called Eileen Walsh. Okay, he was in Catastrophe actually with Sharon. She played her best friend in that. Yeah. She said the other day, she was talking about it, and somebody said, because she's doing a show at the National, they said, what do you prefer? What's your favourite thing? Is it film, television, or or theatre? And she said, oh, you know, I love them all, I love them all. She said, but then she said, I suddenly thought, yeah, but there's an alarm bell that goes off if I don't do a play for a long time. Right. That's brilliantly described. Love that. Love that. (laughs) It's probably like when you're a musician, you know, if you don't play live for a long time, you must just feel like... It's not right. Because just being in the room Mm. and breathing in the audience's reaction to whatever it is you're doing the effect that you have feeling the effect that you have not just guessing making a sort of sort of weird intellectual judgment about how something will will be received rather than just Mm. that opening chord when everyone goes wow you know as opposed to recording music it's the same for us you know it's the same feeling it's the visceral connection with people communion yeah. yeah So when you were, this happened, this kind of shameless Magdalene Sisters period, mm. at what point then did you get married and this next phase of your life start? So obviously we met on Shameless, so then. Yeah. And then I had my son in 2010. 2010, okay. And you cite that as being the biggest adult change that you've gone through in your life so far. Yeah, because I found it very difficult to get pregnant, like a lot of women. Right. So it took me a long time. And I got pregnant, of course, at the moment when I was giving up, you know, classic. Yeah. How old were you when you had Brendan? I was, when he was born, 39. Okay. So I was an older mum, you know, mm. really. But I'd been working at it for about seven years or something crazy, you know. It did take me a long time. 
with any major life event, there's always a before and afterwards. Yeah. And I think parents, we have that, right, don't we? And other people have other versions of that because it's not, you know, we're not just, not just for us mums and dads. But, you know, I think it's such a, they're such teachers, children, you know, because you really have to examine yourself all the time when you're with your children. You have to go, why am I saying this? And you focus entirely on the effect you have on somebody. So you have to make sure that your reasons for doing it or saying it are good reasons. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't be messing around with another little person like that. And also it's just joyful and you feel part of the universe, right? You feel part of the whole the circle of life. <laughs> but you do, you feel part of the, the locomotion of it all, yeah. don't you? You know, you're just in it and... I was so grateful to have him because I was desperate to have him. And we're really, really close. You just have to be their superhero mm. for a long time. Mm. It's hard work being a superhero. It is hard work <laughs> being a superhero. And it makes you look at yourself and you have to maybe go through a bit of a learning process about yourself, as you're saying, you know, who you are and what you're putting out in the world and why you're putting these things out in the world. Like, what do you think you learned about yourself in the process of becoming a mom? Somebody gave me this brilliant piece of advice and I still think it's true, no matter what age your offspring are, that especially for mothers, that you will always be in the room. You, you realise very quickly that time is precious and that whatever you give your time to, you really commit. When I go to work, I'm really at work. I don't waste anybody's time because because I could be at home right now with my yeah. child. You know, yeah. all of those things. You, and I, maybe it's the same for dads, actually, but that I learnt... No more shilly-shallying, Duff. Do things because you want to do them. And if you're doing it just because you need to do it, and then you just fake it. You know, Just be in the room. Really be in the room with people. And definitely with your kids, you have to really be in the room. Sometimes it's hard because you're knackered. And the effect, that's it, isn't it? The effect we have on people, it really makes you hyper-aware of that, doesn't it? Just the donations of time that we give to other people, you see it so clearly in your kids. Maybe it then influences the time you spend with other people mm. as Mm. grown-ups maybe mm -hmm. definitely I would say you know did it change your attitude to work it made me realize how much I love my work that's good because mm. I think there's a fork in the road for a lot of women when they mm. have kids mm. it made me realize that's who I am mm. you know I love my job and if I didn't have it I wouldn't be me and also I want him to see what it's like for a person to be fulfilled mm. You know, you hope they breathe that in and go, ah, oh, I want to find the thing that thrills me. You yeah. Know, hopefully. And he, he had parents, has parents who are both actors. So Yeah, which can't be easy, you know. It's a pain in the arse if you're going somewhere there's always and somebody away. goes, oh my God, Professor X, can I get your photograph? <laughs> you know, and he's like probably thinking, fuck off, he's my dad. Probably feels very protective, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that can't be easy for any child. I mean, I don't get that so much. People go, oh, I saw you in such and such. I really love your work. <laughs> <laughs> well, over the, like, the fruit counter at Waitrose or something. Except the only yeah. time that he did laugh. We went to Paris early in the year because he'd never yeah. been. And I took him up the Eiffel Tower and everyone was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, sex education. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that was the first time he was a bit like, because they were all quite young and cool. So he was a bit like, yeah, yeah my mum's not too shabby. <laughs> uh, so does he watch your work? Has he watched what you no, do? No, he wouldn't watch a bar of what either really? of us do. He's like, yeah. You are my parents. Yeah, it's embarrassing. You are nothing more to me. Yeah. Um, and I remember 
because we were like, oh, because lots of actors go, yeah, my kids come see my shows. Um, but yeah. I heard Robin Wright being interviewed not that long ago, and she said, oh, my God, no, the kids would never watch Sean Penn or myself do anything. They yeah. just weren't. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, that makes yeah. me feel better. Makes me feel yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he wouldn't. He's like, because he loved Arthur Christmas, that movie, that, and James had done the voice. He was Arthur Christmas in this yeah. movie. It's I watched that with the kids. It's yeah. one of the best Christmas movies yeah. ever. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. And we used to, as a joke, go, go on, Dad. You do a bit that bit from the movie. And he yeah. would go, my God, Dad, you're brilliant at that. And then somebody told him, that's your daddy. <laughs> and that was it. He was like, oh. oh, it's, I, oh so he didn't realise it was all over my strawberries. Dad. Yeah. Dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just thought his dad was doing an impression as opposed to his actual. genius. Oh. <laughs> That's so sweet, though. So, uh, oh. yeah, that's the end of all the Christmas, sadly. But, yeah, he doesn't. Well, he's just like, just be my parents, please, which is yeah. probably really healthy. It is healthy, yeah, I reckon. So how did you, I mean, I don't want to ask the dreaded, how did you be a mom and be an actor and all of that? Because, as you know, your husband was also an actor. I guess, how did you both deal with it? How did you do shared parenting and be successful actors? Or did you, one of you had to kind of pull back and take one for the team for a bit? Well, I suppose. I mean, we're not together anymore, so now logistics is everything. Yeah. And childcare. I'm just like any working mum. Yeah. If I didn't have childcare, I'd be scuppered. Yeah. But I don't take as much work as I would if I had okay. a child because you can't. You've got to have time with them. Okay. But then I think, in a way, kids of actors are lucky like that because they don't have parents who are out at the office all day, every day. Mm. You know, they get these lumps of time. Big lumps, yeah. And sometimes really big lumps of time, mm. yeah. Mm. Exactly, where you get to just them have them all to yourselves, you know. Yeah. So in those years that you were trying for having a baby, mm. had you seen other actors be parents and thought, okay, that's how I want to do it? I'm asking this just because when I became a mum as a DJ, yeah. there wasn't really any rules for how you did it and I didn't know anyone else who was a mum and right. a DJ at my level and I found it really hard to navigate how you did it because you had to take the work so far up front and I didn't know how I was going to feel. You know what I mean? I, I totally like, know. So it was kind of like, I don't know whether I can take this job because I might have postnatal depression. I might I might still be breastfeeding. I don't know if I can go to... Totally. So I found that really difficult. But also the emotional shit of, I think I feel like I left my leg at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that too. You know, it's hard. Mm. But... The best thing that I remember, and I do this now, is that I remember when I did initially start going back to work, getting other mums who were actors or directors or whatever going, you're doing fine. Okay. If you need to go to the loo and have a cry, yeah. come find me. Okay. Because they get it. I think my biggest fear was around the fact that I was at that time with a movie star. Okay. And I was worried about my child getting... Yeah, but we getting were, overexposed. Well, overexposed. But we were so private. Luckily, we were mm. left alone. Mm. So we didn't have all that stuff. But that was a real fear for me because you feel very protective. You feel protective enough when you're a parent. Of course. But, you know, that was my, I think that was my biggest paranoia was that, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Mm. But actually, once we were in the swing of it, you were like, well, they're really not interested. Yeah. They're much more interested to get a photograph of somebody who's beautiful than 21. Or... <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. You're now in your early 50s. Yeah, baby. Married, divorced. Yep. In, in your prime of your career, I would say. Like, Thank you what, so much. What, like, what do you still want? What do you still want to do? Is there things you still want to change? But you know, it's mad because during the press for Bad Sisters, the amount of people who've said to me, like really nice journalists you meet who you've respected and read their stuff mm-hmm. for years, like, so what next time? Are you going to write something? Are you going to direct something? What are you going to do? As if that's a logical next step. As if A is a logical next step. But also for me, the second part of that for me was like, fuck, really? And they would be like, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say, mm. which is a huge compliment. It's like a, the most, can make you cry almost, like, because you hide yourself behind characters so often that you think they're the interesting ones with something to say. Mm. Or the writer who wrote this is the interesting one. I remember Helen McCrory saying that once, like, brilliant Helen, mm. that... She said, you know, I knew I couldn't create art, but I could be in it. And it's sort of, as an actor, you often feel like that. You're just serving someone else or whatever. Yeah. And so just the notion that someone could think you might have something to say is so extraordinary. It makes you go, oh. And did it ignite anything in your head? It certainly made me think a lot about it. Because you're an avid reader. Yeah, totally. And also you become so aware of the world. I think that happens when you have kids maybe or maybe just is maybe it's just maturity but you become so aware of global information the way we treat each other what's happening in the the world around you and the greater world and the responsibility inside of it the responsibility we have as human beings is it possible for us to affect change by what we do you know all of those things yeah I did a play in America, I did the Scottish play in America right. with Ethan Hawke. And Ethan is wow. su- has such a sort of American head about filling the landscape. I think it's quite an American thing. They have this massive country. Right. They have to fill this freaking landscape. Yeah. So they have much more of a headspace of going, I'm going to direct. I'm going to be an actor, obviously, but shit, I'm going to make a documentary. I'm going to be in a band for a bit. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a couple of novels. Isn't that just, but isn't that also just a kind of inherent confidence and also like this coming from a place where anything is possible and it's promoted that you can yeah. do anything. That's what I mean. They As have opposed this to being thing in the UK where it's kind of get back in your box. Get back in your box. Don't, yeah. you know. Oh, so you're giving up that now then? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah, I think it's really... It's a cultural thing, isn't it? But, you know, but all my heroes, Patti Smith, Nick Cave, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're poets and musicians sure. and artists and uh, they multitask. Yeah. It's all an extension of their creativity. So what would you say? What would you want to say? I know this is, you sound like one of my best friends, Julia. What would you want to tell? Who's like, so duff, well duff. What are you going to (laughs) do? I am that friend. I'm like, come on, we're going to make a plan. I know, and it's I find it frightening because I'm like, oh shit, because you spend so long 
defending the definition you have of yourself, right? Mm. Oof. Don't oof, you? Oof, you know what I mean, really baby? It's different. But it's true. That and I think, different. especially as a female in the industry, you have to really fucking define yourself. Yeah. Say, this is me. This is my authentic self. I am this. And I'm yeah. so purely this. And I will work so hard to prove to you that what I have in this little distillation is undeniable. You cannot tell me I can't do this. Yeah. I can fucking do this with bells on, baby. Yeah. yeah. And so for then somebody to go, well, I'll go for it for a bit. Just look over yeah. here. You go, but if I, but if I do that, oh God, what happens? Will everything just fall apart and will I go mad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, it's yeah. funny, isn't it? It is funny. It's funny. I kind of did it. I kind of weirdly did it, and I wrote a novel, which yeah. was so such a left turn. But I mean, and it felt amazing. Did I mean. it when you sat down and had that screen? It felt like coming home. It was so mad. It felt like the most exciting, thrilling, but also just. Time disappeared. I only did it as a hobby. It was like, I'm just going to do this for me. I'm 40. I've always wanted to write. Let's just try. And then it was like, it just... See, that's the thing. I'm sure that you've read all your life. You you are a storyteller in your head and in your heart. I bet you have stories that you could tell so beautifully. Maybe. Well, everyone Do has. you write? Everybody has. I, I'm always writing in my head. That's but the you thing, don't? I've it down. I know. Mm. But anyway... So that's so sort of like, because I feel I was really scared of turning 50. It was what a big, it was a big thing for me. And how was it? And of course, you know, the sky didn't fall on my head. I was fine. But, yeah. you know, you feel like, I suppose it's the way people used to feel about 40, maybe. Mm. I was really scared of it. And then suddenly the fact that people have said things like that, what next? Mm. You go, oh, God, so I'm not finished, right? I'm not. I'm not fucking finished. And that was my biggest fear. It was like, so you do, you have to go, right, okay, so what's the second half of my life going to look like? Mm. So that's kind of interesting to think of yourself as being a bit like your kid. Yeah. You're starting again in a way. It's in a, start a way, something. Yeah. you say like, they, like I talk about my parents, they didn't decide who I was. Mm. So maybe you have to apply a bit of that to yourself and stay curious and all of those things. Absolutely, yeah. And I think as well, there's, you know, that line that you said, which is so powerful, this this kind of defending the definition of yourself. But but there's something about having that definition that can be limiting in a way. So it's kind totally. of how, do you, how, how are you able to kind of blur those lines, push them away a little bit and allow yourself to be... More of yourself. More, yeah. Not yeah. That sounds like the, what, what it is isn't enough, but you know what I mean? Allow yourself to spread wider, you know, as opposed to like climbing a ladder. It's just having a bigger perspective maybe of what you're capable of and I think it's now very much a thing that people do you know you I look at the generation starting out and they go yeah I could do this that and this and this mm. you know they do say I have three different careers going yeah. at once <laughs> but that wasn't the case when I was starting out so you, you did have to like you say re, like I was talking about you have to really defend it and I think as well, there's, it feels like today, in this day and age, there's a real kind of um, pressure to have an opinion on everything. Oh, Jesus, And to God. know your opinion. To be definitive, and right? And to be binary and definitive, as opposed to being able to say, I don't know. I'm learning. And I might never know, but all I can do is learn. I don't know is, is, is the best thing I think you can say. And it, going into something like writing or starting, like, you don't have to have a fully formed thing. You can just start. Yeah. yeah. Not knowing. And see what happens. Because that's what you would have done when you were 18 anyway. Exactly, yeah. No, I know what you mean. That uh, It's exhausting when people are very opinionated, isn't it? Because yeah. you think, do you know what? Yeah. 
There are two sides to every argument. Yeah. And sometimes more. Sometimes many more. <laughs> sometimes more. It's funny, isn't it? And it's such a... You're sort of seen as being a bit... Mm, a bit disappointing if you're mm. not definitive. Mm. Mm. Whereas, of course, the thing you learn as you get older is that. Yeah. Can I ask you the question that everyone asks women in middle age as mm. actors? It's like, do you have enough parts? Do you feel good about being an actor going into your you know sixth decade... You know, you look at someone like Sharon who's writing parts, obviously, for women. Yeah. So I think the more people we have doing that, the better. The more writers, more creators. But do you feel optimistic about that side? I do definitely feel optimistic about it. Um, I think we're in a very different place than we were 20 years ago. I think the producers of content now realise the demographic Mm. is hugely female and, you know, of a certain age. So I think they are understanding they need to cater to that a bit more. But there are, as you've just said, there are more female creators of content. I suspect there's not as much work coming rolling in as when I was 35 or whatever. But yeah. like I said, I've got a kid. I don't, I'm not like, what next? What's next? I'm not like trying to bookend everything. So okay. I don't have that feeling, which might make me notice it less. But I feel it's we're in a better place. Obviously, there's room for improvement. There's always room for improvement in that Mm. way. But it doesn't feel like everything on TV now is a white male. Yeah. And that's massive. It's wonderful. Which is a massive, big, Mm. massively big deal. Mm. And hopefully that'll keep Mm. powering on. Marie Duff, what would you still want to change, if anything, about your world or the world around you? Well, look, um, I still feel really passionate about female rights, any kind of gender rights, actually, to be honest with you, in terms of, you know, with such a beautiful fluidity around gender now. Yeah. And I do think it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I really do. And I love the fact that my kids, friends with young people who've are questioning their pronouns and he's like, well, cool. Yeah. I love that. I find that really inspiring and exciting because I think what it leans into is what we were talking about to link it back to identifiers becoming identities. And we, it's great to push against that and go, oh, I'm not just that thing. Mm. You know, I'm whoever I am, you know, mm. and, I, and I think it's really exciting. But also just um, so passionately protective about young women in lots of parts of the world who are so suffocated and stifled and straight-jacketed, you mm. know, and, and mm. I find that profoundly upsetting. Yeah. Well, I thank you thank so you. much for for coming on here and, and chatting and also for the stories you tell through your work. And I really look forward to reading or seeing... <laughs> Amory as a writer, as a director, I'm excited. Who knows what I'll do next? Exactly. I'm excited for what's to come. I'll be running the bleeding country. (laughs) I'd vote. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, my darling. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much to Anne-Marie, such a wise woman. I really, really enjoyed talking to her. And please, if you haven't, go check out Bad Sisters. It's on Apple TV now. I just got the free trial. So you can get the free trial, you can watch it. And then if you don't want to stay on Apple TV, you can come off the free trial again. But it's very worth it. 
uh, as I said, final episode being aired this Friday. Let me know what you thought of this episode as well on my Instagram and rate, review, subscribe at your leisure. We are so appreciative of, of any of that business. Now we're going to be back next Monday with actress and comedian Sophie Willen, BAFTA winner, star, creator of Alma's Not Normal. This girl is really something special. From Bolton, working class to the core, came through the care system, has had such a colourful life, is side-splittingly funny. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So, Changes was produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Looking forward to bringing you another episode next week. Take care, lads. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.